you're listening to audio from the West End Community Church in McGregor, Manitoba. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here this morning. Glad to be here with you. And I think I was about 12 years old. No, I was younger, 10 years old. When my older sister brought home her first Christian rock album, <laughs> it was David Meese, uh, and uh, I know that many of you don't know who that is, and that's all good. Um, anyway, she kind of surreptitiously brought it into the house without my father seeing it, and and then played it for him later on, so I don't know why she was surreptitious in the first place, but <coughs> anyway, uh, this story really has nothing to do with David Meese, but the second album that my older sister brought into the house uh, was Keith Green, and uh, many of you maybe know who Keith Green is. Keith Green uh, passed away now, uh, really good s- uh, singer, songwriter, um, Maybe a little bit before my time, but um, but certainly he was he had some really great songs. One song in particular has always resonated with me. I've never forgotten. Um, he sang a song called "I Can't Wait to Get to Heaven," and uh, I I don't remember too much about the song, but I do remember very much his preamble before he was, uh, you know, he was one of these cool musicians who could just kind of play the piano and then just talk to you at the same time, and it all made sense, and I wish I could do that. Um, But anyway, this is, Keith Green was uh, about to sing this song, and so he was playing the intro, and he had this preamble. He just kind of talked about heaven, and this is what he said. Go ahead, Andrea. You might have to turn up the volume on the computer. Okay, can you just go back to the beginning again? Yeah, there you go. And turn it up, yeah. A little more. See the forest and the trees and all the things. Maybe let's go back to the beginning again. This was way better when I imagined it in my head. You know, I look around at the world and I see all the beauty that God made. See the forest and the trees and all the things. And it says in the Bible that he made them in six days. And I don't know if they're a literal six days or not. Scientists would say no. Some theologians would say yes. It doesn't matter to me. But I know that Jesus Christ has been preparing a home for me and for some of you for 2,000 years. And if this world took six days and that home took 2,000 years, hey man, this is living in a garbage can compared to what's going up there. That's good If you didn't hear that, basically Keith Green was just saying that he sees the beauty of the earth. He sees all the many things that, you know, take his breath away here on earth. And he said, God made that in six days. And he's been working on heaven for 2,000 years. 
And he just, basically, the premise, what he was giving, uh, what he was getting to is this, that he just can't wait to get to heaven. It's going to be amazing. And that's certainly kind of what we want to talk about this morning. Uh, We want to talk about heaven a bit. And uh, I want you, if you have your Bibles with me, uh, just join me in uh, in the Gospel of John. And we are going to look at the latter part, well, we're going to read the latter part of chapter 13, um, and we're going to segue into chapter 14 as well this morning. And we mentioned a few weeks ago, if you can remember back that far, that chapters 13 to 17 of John are known as the upper room discourse. And we talked about the fact that chapters 1 to 12 of John take take into account about three, three and a half years. Basically, the, the all, um, it encompasses all of Jesus' public ministry. And then you get to chapter 13, and everything kind of slows down. And instead of talking about years, we're talking about hours. Chapters 13 to 17 really encompass only about 30, uh, 24 to 36 hours in the life of Jesus and in the life of the disciples. It's known as the Upper Room Discourse. This, discourse, this is um, chapter 13 specifically, and then on from there, it, it's talking about um, the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. Um, certainly during the Passover meal, what happens after the Passover meal. And it's significant because it's the last time that Jesus is going to be together with all the disciples before he is crucified, before he goes to the cross, before he's arrested. And so now, as we move into chapter 14, this is still a very intimate setting. Now there's just 11 because we know that um, in, uh, I think, verse 30-ish of, of chapter 13, we get to the point where um, Judas has exited. He has gone. He is, uh, he is on his way to betray Jesus. And, and as Jesus continues to talk with his 11 disciples now, um, he is going to share some very personal things, some very important things. Things that, uh, that are important for the disciples to discern, and certainly not only that, but also for us to discern. Because by extension, as we know, as we said a couple of weeks ago, the word disciple means student, it means follower, it, it means basically anyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ, who has committed themselves to being a follower of Jesus. And if you are that, then you, by extension, you're not one of the 12, but you are still a disciple. And so the things that Jesus has to say to the 11, he has to say to you as well. So we should, I think, take note of these things. And as we said, I mean, everything that Jesus says is is important, right? But the words of a man who is on his way to his death. Those are weighty words, and certainly words that we should take note of. So I want to start reading in chapter 13, and I want us to read into chapter 14 as we go along here. Uh, why don't we start at verse 
33. Verse 33. Jesus, referring to his disciples as little children, says this. Yet little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter again says, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. And then chapter 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled, Believe also in me, in my Father's house. Um, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the, the way to where I am going. going. And Thomas said to him, Lord... We do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Why don't we pause there and pray? Heavenly Father, it is good to be here this morning, it is good to be in your house. And each and every one of us is here for a reason. And maybe there are, are some that are, are watching online or, or just seeing this for the very first time. But Father, I pray, uh, whatever the circumstance, that you would touch each and every one of our hearts this morning. And that we would hear from you what is needed for us to move forward. And Father, only you can see our hearts. And so maybe there is someone, maybe there are people here who have yet to surrender their lives to you. Father, I pray that maybe your words, your spirit would just speak loudly and clearly and penetrate deep into our hearts this, this morning. If there are things that we need to remove from our lives, if there are things that we need to, to do, Father, I pray that today would be a motivation to do just that. We pray that we would be listening to what you have to say to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we already looked at the, the first part of chapter 13, right? Um, and we talked about, uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus wants us to serve. And he gave us the example of, of serving others. And he did that by washing the disciples' feet. And we talked about w- those different 
those different aspects of service. And then last week, Pastor Matt looked at the, uh, the latter part of chapter 13, and Jesus was teaching uh, about love. He was teaching us about how we should love people the way that, that he loves. And so now, as we move into chapter 14, as we go from chapter 13 to 14, um, Jesus is going to talk primarily about heaven. And there's sort of a theme, like Jesus talks about, like I said, he talked about service, and he, and he said, this is my example, I want you to serve people. And then he, he moved on, and he talked about love, and he gave them an example of how he loves people, and then he said, I want you to love people the same way. And now, as we move into chapter 14, what he wants to do is he wants to tell us about where he's going, and then he wants to let us know that we can go there too. And then he's going to tell us how to do that as we move into chapter 14. It's interesting, I think, in the passage that we read that Jesus exhorts his disciples to love one another. And as he's talking and he says, you know, love, love everyone like, like I have loved you. And, and you know, and he talks about um, all these sorts of things, even though it's a new commandment. He says, a new commandment I give you, love one another, all these sorts of things. It's interesting to me that the disciples don't have any questions about that. Even though it's, it's new, they don't say anything. I wonder why that is. I think, and this is just my opinion, but I think it's because of what he says in verse 33. Did you notice that? He said, little children, yet a little while, while I, uh, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. So Jesus says, love one another. They don't have any questions about that, but then he gets to verse 33, and he says, hey, where I'm going, you can't come. So, or, Obviously, maybe that, I don't know, stopped them in their tracks. Yeah, the love stuff, we got that. We'll do that. We'll do, we'll sort of. But wait a minute. Where are you going? Things are just getting good. Jesus, what do you mean you're leaving? And I, in that passage that we read, I want you, um, I don't know if you noticed it, but, but there are three questions asked. And I just want to highlight all three of those questions. Two of the questions are asked by Peter. And then one of them is asked by Thomas. And we're just going to kind of look at those questions. And maybe as we look at those questions, we'll be able to, to kind of um, see what Jesus wants us to see. And to see where he's going and maybe how we can get there too. Peter has two of the questions. Thomas has one. The first question is in verse 36. I don't know if you saw that there, but this is what Peter says, verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, blunt as ever, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. That's question number one. Where are you going? Jesus, where are you going? The next one's in verse 37. Peter said to him, Lord, 
Why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. So verse 36, question one. Verse 37, question two. And then in chapter 14 and verse five, we have question number three. This one is by Thomas. Thomas, in verse five, says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And then he asks, how can we know the way? Those three questions. Where are you going? Why can't I follow? And how can we know the way? It's a pretty good outline, right? We have the advantage today of, of, of having the entire canon of Scripture. We have the, the advantage of knowing um, the whole story of the Bibles. The disciples didn't have that. And sometimes I think we take that for granted. They only knew in part what Jesus was saying. So perhaps uh, we understand the whole story and what Jesus was trying to tell his disciples prophetically about what was going to happen in the coming days of the week. We understand that. The disciples, they were just kind of picking up uh, little, little bits and pieces here and there, and they were trying to put it all together. We know historically about what was about to happen in the coming days. We know historically because we know how the whole thing played out. We have read the Gospels over and over and over again. What Jesus was trying to tell his disciples was that after his crucifixion, he was going to, he was going to go and he was going to be crucified. He was going to die. After that happened, he was going to rise from the dead. He was going to appear to people over a period of 40 days. And then he was going to ascend back into heaven. That would have been a lot of information to tell them all at once. Uh, but he gave it to them in bits and pieces. Jesus was just trying to ease them into it. He was trying to tell them in advance what was going to happen. We have the advantage of knowing everything that was going to happen, how it was going to unfold. We have the history of it. I mean, you remember uh, Acts chapter 1, verses one to nine, or 9 to 11, right? It says, when Jesus had spoken these things, <coughs> as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood there in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you go into heaven. So we know the history. We know everything that Jesus was trying to say to the disciples in chapters 13 and 14 when he was talking to them in the upper room. And Jesus was giving them a preview of what was going to happen in the coming days. Essentially, he was saying, here's what's going to happen, guys. I'm going away. And where you're going or where I'm going, you can't come. At least not now you can't come. But you can, you will come later. And then that's where Peter pushes back. He says, where are you going? And then, and then he says, why can't I follow you now? And Peter, always the, the brusque, blunt guy, says, Jesus, I, I will lay down my life for you. I'll do it right now. And then we get the prediction that the 
the prophecy that Jesus makes. Before the sunrise, Peter, when the rooster crows, you are going to deny even knowing me. Will you really follow me? Will you really lay down your life for me? This is, this is really, this is Peter at his worst. This is the bottom of the barrel, Peter. You know what? And it's the part we always remember about him. When everybody ever says Peter's name, what do we remember first? We remember Peter denying Jesus. Think about that. Think about if people say your name and they remember the worst thing about you every time. It's a shame because Peter was a great man. Peter did some amazing things for the Lord Jesus. But we remember this. One of the things that I love most about Peter's life is that it is, it's a picture of me. And quite frankly, it's a picture of you too. To some degree. I mean, there is always going to be mistakes that we make. There's always going to be human failure. There are always going to be times when we disappoint the Lord. There are going to be times when we grieve his heart. There are going to be times when we sin against him. But Peter's life was not just marked by this, by this tragic failure. It was marked by... Uh, it was marked by this tremendous restoration. I mean, you can't read John chapter 21 without reading how Jesus lovingly and tenderly restored Peter. It's almost the entire chapter is, is, is made up of that. I mean, we'll get more into that later, obviously, but uh, for now, the conversation that Jesus has to have with his disciples, it's just all about heaven. It's all about heaven. And, and for two reasons, I think it's important that we take note of this. First, I think it's important because Jesus talks about heaven to prepare his disciples for his departure. And secondly, Jesus also wants to prepare them, and he wants to prepare you and me for our departure because that's the inevitability of human, uh, of, of human life, right? That there is a beginning and there is an end. And so Jesus wanted to prepare his disciples for, for his own departure and he also wanted to prepare his, his disciples for their departure and for our departure. That's why it's so important for us to, dis- to study. We have to be ready because one day we will depart this mortal plane. That's an inevitability. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what's our destination? Where are we going? Are we ready for the next life. You know, years ago, Rolling Stone magazine did a survey of the top 100 rock songs. Keith Green did not make the list. Um, Number one 
was Bob Dylan, Like a Rolling Stone. Uh, coincidentally, the song number two was by the Rolling Stones, and it was I Can't Get No Satisfaction. The third song, the third song on the list was by John Lennon, and it was entitled Imagine. And I've often thought to myself, I really like this song. It's catchy. It's, uh, it's, it's melancholy. It's, it's all these sorts of things. I'm sure you've heard this song one time or another. But listen to some of the lyrics. These are some of the lyrics in, in the song Imagine by John Lennon. He says, imagine if there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. And he goes on and he talks about how there should be no religion and, and no this and no that. And basically it was just, it was a shot at the belief systems of many people that live on the earth. In 2018 at the, at the Seoul uh, South Korea Winter Olympics, that song was played at the opening ceremonies. 35,000 people stood up and swayed and sang the lyrics to that song. Millions of people at home, probably the same thing. No heaven, no hell, no religion, no eternity. This life, this life is as good as it gets. That's what the song is about. It is about people just living for today. There is no real hope. There's no realization that there's something more than just this mortal existence. So in that instance, the number three rock song of all time is a very sad song, is it not? They're singing about a song, or they're singing a song that glorifies no hope. But the Bible says that there is a heaven. And the Bible says that there is a hell. Both are real. Both exist. And every one of us is going to find out one way or the other. That's the truth. And so what Jesus was trying to say to his disciples here in John chapter 14 was that following the crucifixion, following the resurrection, he was going to ascend into heaven. And Jesus was saying that we could also go to that place. Not with him right away, but we could go there when we die. Because through his sacrifice on the cross, Jesus opened heaven wide to all who would believe and to all who would receive. Heaven is a choice. It's a choice that Jesus died on the cross to keep as many people from going to hell as possible. Do you remember when we were talking about Revelation? And we, and we quoted that verse in uh, uh, Ezekiel. Jesus, or God, is not willing that any should perish. Jesus went to the cross to open heaven for anyone who would choose to surrender their life to Jesus. But you have to make that choice. And I pray that everyone here would leave this morning with the full assurance that they are going to heaven. So let's talk about heaven just a, just a bit this morning in the time that we have left. Charles Spurgeon once said to his students when he was talking, teaching them in seminary, he said, when you talk about heaven, I want your face to beam 
and glory and glow with enthusiasm. And when you talk about hell, just your normal face will do. I am going to try to beam this morning because we're talking about heaven. Do you know that heaven is mentioned more than 275 times in the New Testament? It is referenced 300 times in the Old Testament. Heaven saturates the Bible because it is the place where God ultimately wants us to go. It is the habitation of God. It is the eternal home for all those who trust Jesus. So when Peter said, where are you going? This is the place where where, where Jesus was going. And there are so many passages that we could reference. Let me just give you a couple. Psalm 103 verse 19 says this. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. It's his habitation, right? And his kingdom rules over all. First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about how as long as we are in the body, we are away from the Lord because we're living on earth. It's not to say he's not here, but it... But the moment we die, to be absent from the body, Paul says, is to be present with the Lord, physically or spiritually. Our soul departs from our body and goes to be with the Lord. That is the beautiful promise that we will go instantly into the presence of the Lord because it's not only the habitation of God, but it's also the eternal home of all those who believe in Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about heaven again. And he says he has this vision of heaven and he describes streets of gold. He describes gates of pearl and walls of jasper and foundations of precious stones. There's this crystal clear river running through it. It's a place that, like Keith Green said, God's been working on for all this time. We can't even imagine it. Paul says this, he says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither it has entered the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love him. I mean, it's easy for us to say these words and to read them and to imagine, but truthfully, heaven is unimaginable. Revelation chapter 21 says that there's no need for a sun or a moon because God himself illuminates heaven. And one of the great things about heaven is, is what it's not. Somebody once said that heaven is a place of no mores. There's no more death. There is no more mourning. There is no more crying. There is no more pain. There is no more sorrow. There is no more sin. There is no more sickness. It is going to be a beautiful existence unencumbered by all the things that ought to weigh us down and the things that trouble us today. The grief that we go through, the mourning that we go through when somebody dies, the devastation that we feel when, when we or a loved one has a terminal diagnosis, the things that weigh heavy on us in heaven or on earth, all of that is going to be gone. And it is going to be a place of reunions with those that we love who have gone on before. And I would say this, I, I say all this because this is the hope that you and I are living for. It's the reason why we're here today. It's the hope of the church. 
Paul says if we, are, if we live for today, if, if this is all there is, then we are to be pitied. But heaven is a glorious ultimate reward. John 14, verse 2, Jesus talks about rooms in the ESV. We read it there. Um, in my Father's house are many rooms. Some of your versions probably say mansions. Um, some of them probably say dwelling, abode. Uh, it basically means home or abode. I don't want to burst your bubble. And uh, maybe the, I haven't been there, so I don't know exactly what, it, what it's going to be like. I don't know if it's going to be mansions or not. I don't think we're going to care, honestly. I, I mean, honestly, I think that many people talk about the, the mansions, but, but the, the word rooms here in the Greek, it's uh, the word monet. Uh, and it's basically, um, it, it just means home. It means abode. It means dwelling. So I, I don't know if there's going to be, I don't know if we're all going to be living in mansions. I, I don't know that for sure. But think about this. The word mansion, you know, it kind of appeals to our Western stuff mentality, that, that kind of thing. But there's going to be no covetousness in, in heaven. Um, I am going to have a huge truck, and, uh, and nobody is going to covet my truck because you'll all have your own trucks. Um, there's going to be no obsession with stuff. It's not going to matter to us. Let me tell you what you are going to be obsessed with. You are going to be obsessed and captivated with Jesus. And you're going to be around the throne worshiping and enjoying life in heaven in this glorious place. And all Jesus means here is that there is room for you. There is room for me. And he is going to prepare that place for you. He's saying you need to choose it. And that leads to the last question. And it's the one that I think is most important. Thomas asks it. He's earnest. And he asks it and he says, how can we know the way to go? How can we get there? And Jesus answers in a very bold way. Some of the best, most well-known verses in the Bible. You notice that? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is, a, this is an exclusive kind of claim. This is a, a claim that the world does not like to hear. Think about all the questions the people of the world ask about heaven. Things like this. Is there a way to get to heaven? Is it by being as good as you can? Is it by spiritual acts? If I pray and I fast a lot, am I, am I good to go? Is it by penance and absolution by a priest? Is it really hard to do good things so that hopefully the good things outweigh the bad things on the day that I die? How, what is it that is going to tip the scale in my direction? Listen, the, the answer to any of or all of those questions is none of the above. 
The problem with all those questions is that it puts the burden on you. It puts the burden on me. It's all about what we do. And there, we are all capable people, but there's nothing you can do. Nothing. Are you good enough? Will you try hard enough? Will you live right enough? No, you, you won't. The Bible teaches that God knew that and he put the burden not on you, but he put it on Jesus. Jesus died so that we could be forgiven of our sin. And he opened heaven wide all that would believe that he is the way, that he is the truth, that he is the life. That we would understand that he is the only way to get to the Father. And we have to acknowledge a few things. I mean, we have to acknowledge that we're sinners. The Bible states our condition very clearly. We're all sinners. We're born into sin. We commit sin. We're guilty by birth. We're guilty by works. So therefore, there is nothing good that, there's nothing good enough that I can do to compensate for my sinful condition, no matter what, no matter how hard I try, no matter what I do. And God, knowing this, sent his son. So, Hear this, church, hear this. Do not believe the lie that all paths lead to God. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one gets to the Father except through me, he was making an exclusive claim. And if you think that Jesus is just one of many ways to get to God, then you are making him out to be a liar. And you can't have it both ways. Jesus, if you believe the Bible to be true, Jesus is the only way or he's no way at all. We cannot capitulate. You cannot be on the middle ground on this. You have to decide. It's one or the other. You have to decide. Either what Jesus said is completely true or you have to discount it altogether. And that is the case. And if that is the case, if you believe that, then I'm, I, I am sad to say this, but there's no remedy for you. The only hope that we have is in Jesus. He died on a cross because of his love for us, because he knew that we could not save ourselves. God sent his son to save us, to rescue us, to redeem us. Acts 4 verse 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given unto men that we should be saved. And that name is Jesus. It is Yeshua in Hebrew. It is Iesus in Greek. It is Jésus in French. It is Jesus in Spanish. It is Jesus in Low German. Whatever language you speak, we're talking about Jesus Christ. He is the only way to salvation. Do you believe that? The Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I pray that each and every one of us who are here this morning will know where you are going when you leave this world. If you are five or you are 95, at some point you have to know where you're going. 
The Bible says all the days of our life are ordained to, uh, the, all the days ordained for us are written in his book because before one of them comes to be. So literally, the Bible's telling us our days are numbered. So where are you going? Make sure you know where you're going to spend eternity. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is good to be here. It is, it is, so, it is so good to read your word and to see the truth. And Lord, there are so many in this world that need to know that you are the way, that you are the truth, that you are the life. There's so many conflicting stories out there. There's so many different points of view. There's so many different opinions. There's so many different things that that conflict with each other. And, And yet, in the midst of all that, you have remained resolute. And you've said the same thing from beginning to end. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. Father, May we believe that and may we share that. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.